What's going on? Jason Bay here. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. In this podcast, I have conversations with top reps, sales leaders, and other experts to teach you how to turn complete strangers into paying customers. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, personalizing your outreach. And our guest is Nadia Komenenich. She's head of business development at Lemlist, and we're going to talk about three things. Uh, one, sort of digging into her journey from marketing to sales, which is pretty interesting, and then finding the right personalization angle. So why should you personalize if you're going to do it? What should you look for? What should you say? And then we're going to talk about automation. <laughs> Did I, did I get your name right or did, did I mess it up? <laughs> you did, Jason. It was perfect. It yes. was wonderful. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so, again for having um, me on the show. Yeah, I'm super excited. I've been a big fan of what you guys are doing at Lemlist for the longest time. So it's good to have you guys on the show. I always like to start with, uh, what do you feel like is your you know sales superpower? What do you feel like you do better than just about anyone else out there? What's unique? Well, to you? I would say that uh, I would say that my biggest uh, sales superpower is definitely copywriting, and that helps me mm -hmm. also in both uh, outreach and in general. Like whenever we're creating content on the sales side, I do think this is my biggest sales uh, superpower. How did you learn this skill? So I was studying actually journalism in my university. Uh, so like uh, writing in general was one of my biggest passions my whole life. My dad was also uh, a very famous writer actually in Serbia. Uh, so I was uh, always a writer. However, when it comes to copywriting, I think that uh, at one point that kind of, uh, I worked in marketing. That was kind of the beginning of my career. So that's where I really polished the skill. And obviously like as years go went by, uh, I worked on it a lot, specifically when I came into into sales. Interesting. So, from a marketing lens, where what, what kind of stuff were you writing? Was it landing pages, blog posts, <clears throat> social media posts, all of the above? What, what kind of writing were you doing? Yeah, so it was everything, and as you mentioned, uh, I do think that when you're in marketing, like copywriting is just like a big part of the of the work that you're doing. Uh, I was focusing also on uh, like uh, blogs, articles, and uh, last two years of me building my LinkedIn brand, I do think that I polished my copywriting skills a lot because we had a limited number of characters. Uh, so obviously, yeah. like uh, I was, uh, I was really trying to kind of uh, bring my copywriting skills into the picture. So when you were a journalism major, I have to <laughs> ask, you probably didn't think that you would get into marketing or sales is my guess, <laughs> you know, what, what did you want exactly. to do? Exactly. So that's a great question. Basically, I grew up in Serbia. So in Serbia, you have a, like a very, I would say, small startup scene. So while I was studying uh, journalism in my university, uh, we didn't have like a lot of career options that are, uh, I would say, very present in the U.S. So, for example, sales, marketing, all of these uh, um, areas of work didn't really flourish here. Um, but I felt that uh, you know, something in myself that uh, I was not meant to do like standard uh, Serbian jobs, I would say. So like being a doctor, a lawyer or anything like that, I always kind of felt that I, uh, that I was up for something else and something maybe more. Um, so while, when I finished my university and my, my master's degree, I started really like looking into the opportunities that were uh, offered outside of Serbia. And that's when I ran into uh, all of these marketing uh, uh, opportunities and I figured that my copywriting skills were uh, best applied there. So that's kind of how my career started and led me to marketing. 
is, and this is a really ignorant question, but uh, <laughs> is English your first language or no? No, actually it's, uh, it's Serbian. So Serbian is my first language, yeah. and, uh, but I've started learning English like a very long time ago. And uh, we watch a lot of Netflix, a lot of good, yeah. uh, good TV shows here in Serbia. So I do think that uh, everybody in Serbia speaks really good English. So if uh, anybody's hiring actually good as the ours, I would say that Serbia is a very, very nice market for that. Interesting. So was there a learning curve at all for you when you're learning how to copyright, having to, I mean, because you know how to write and speak <laughs> in two different languages um, in this, in English is your not your first language, it sounds like. Was there a learning curve or anything like that um, that you had to kind of go through? Because I, I wouldn't be able to tell by looking at the yeah. stuff that you write that it's not your first language. Oh, that's lovely to hear. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, I would say that uh, definitely the learning curve was there. However, for me, it's very weird because for me right now, it's much easier for me to speak and write in English than it is in Serbian because Serbia is a bit... Uh, complex language and it's very hard to create short powerful sentences like you need to make it a novel whatever you're writing it needs to be long so like in English I can express my feelings my thoughts and my opinions much more clear than and shorter than I can in, in Serbian do you dream in English or Serbian <laughs> sometimes I know it's super weird but I uh, sometimes I do dream in English but I like mostly it would be in Serbian yeah. obviously like it's my native language yeah yeah, interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, copywriting, because this is, I mean, this is such an essential part of in anyone that prospects. And really, yeah. you know, even if you're an account executive and you don't do much prospecting, copywriting, just your ability to put together a good, compelling email, um, how you take notes, all of that kind of stuff. What kind of tips do you have for someone that's maybe hasn't really spent time developing good copywriting you know skills do you have two or three maybe tips or guidelines for someone that's looking to improve their copy or you know kind of quick stuff that people mm -hmm. could implement to to make their copy better uh so i would say that uh, let's kind of focus first maybe on sales so like when you're reaching out to anybody uh like when you're reaching out from a sales perspective i would say that the first thing that you need to do is like really take a look at how your audience communicates and what is kind of the language that they're using and then kind of copy pasting it into your, into your approach. Uh, but generally speaking, I would say that uh, it's just practice. I would say that the only thing that can really help you get better at copywriting is just practicing a lot and like really uh, exploring different approaches to copywriting itself. Um, and for me, like what, what kind of helped me a lot is, uh, actually accepting my own and finding my own voice instead of actually trying to sound fake or like sound super professional, et cetera. So just like bringing your own, uh, personality into your copywriting, I think is what catches people's attention. Uh, and I do believe that it's the same in sales in general. So it's kind of a, that's why you see, like, I do believe that copywriting is one of my, uh, strongest sales superpowers as well. Yeah. How do you think about copy and getting it into your own voice? Do you read it out loud? Like, how do you kind of sharpen? Because I feel like there's this, yeah. how you sound when you talk and then what it looks like when you write. And when you, there's usually a big difference between those two for most mm. people. And like something I've been working on a lot, because I'm writing a book right now too, is how do I, how do I get my written voice as close as possible to how I would speak, you know, something how do you think about or practice that? 
I would say do not overthink it. Like for me, that was kind of the biggest learning for me when I was trying to really create the best LinkedIn post. That's when I completely lost my voice. But like when you're, when you have an idea and when you have a thought and when you have uh, something that you want to write about, um, as you're thinking, you write. And then it feels natural and feels uh, um, as you would say, like in, in a normal conversation. Um, anytime that you want to kind of polish what you're saying or even think about what you think that people would like to hear or see, that's when you lose your voice. So I think it's just like kind of following your own train of thought. And uh, I would say that for me, like also writing the journal was uh, one of the most helpful things because kind of you get into the mode of actually um, just being yourself as you're writing. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that. It's a very simple habit that you could put into place is mm. just journaling and capturing your thoughts and getting like practicing, okay. you know, doing that because I mean, most of us think I would assume in a conscious <laughs> kind of, stream of thought, how we might talk, <laughs> I'm assuming. Um, so what was, as you made this transition from marketing into sales, where now I'm not writing blog posts. I'm not writing landing pages, nothing like that. I'm, I'm writing a cold email, right? Yeah. What were like, what was the hardest part about that transition for you? Well, I would say everything, to be honest. Like, I think for me, <laughs> when I, when I've jumped into sales, it was just everything at once, like kind of a coming, coming down on me and like me having to figure out it's, it's different. It, no matter how much they have similarities, it's completely like a different uh, work that you're doing. Uh, so for me, the hardest part was definitely uh, not writing novels out of my uh, emails, like keeping them short, keeping them powerful, uh, and um, just figuring out how to make it a sales copy instead of, uh, you know, just delivering value to somebody. Because like in marketing, you're just kind of creating this demand by just pushing out the content, 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 and just providing value to somebody. And then for me, like switching to a moment when I'm actually asking something in return, I think that was kind of the gap that I had to cross. Tell me more about that. I, I feel like sometimes I have a hard time explaining yeah. it actually, because a lot of the cold email copy I see companies, write, It's very clear. It's written by a marketing team that has never mm. done sales before. Mm. And it just has a marketing feel to it, but it's hard to kind of put, put my finger on it. You know, how do you uh, think exactly. about the difference between marketing versus sales when it comes to email? I would say that the biggest difference is uh, when you're writing sales emails, you're actually building relationships. With marketing, you're just delivering and you're kind of not even expecting the answer back from that person. But with the sales emails, you're actually building relationship and connecting with those people and you're starting a conversation. So it's not like the goal of the first email that you send to somebody is not to book a meeting immediately. Uh, although obviously we all hope that will happen, uh, but uh, it's just to get a reply and to kick off this conversation. And I think this is the moment when you, um, like the call to action is different. So like, it's really about building relationship in the, in the sales emails that di differentiates that from actually newsletters or any type of marketing uh, email that you're receiving. Yeah. I love that. One thing I always say is, you know, don't prospect to make a sale prospect to start a conversation. Exactly. And that aligns really well with that. Like the goal to get a reply. Exactly. I'm sure you guys find that when someone replies to that first email, they're so much more likely to respond back when you respond mm. to their email. Exactly. You know, once they respond and there's some sort of engagement there, now there's like a little bit of back and forth and this person has invested a little bit of effort. 
you know, mm -hmm. into, into the dialogue. So let's talk about, you know, personalization. If we just kind of step back, because I'm sure you guys maybe dealt with this towards the beginning before personalizing something was popular. Why would we even want to personalize something to begin with? And maybe start with how do you, like, what is personalization mm. to you? How do you guys define personalization? Because it's more than just the person's first name, right? In the email or their <laughs> company name. It's more than a couple of merge tags, I'm assuming. Exactly. exactly. And that's a great question. And I would say that uh, uh, it, even though it uh, has become more popular to personalize your emails, I would say that there is a still huge pushback from organization where they focus on quantity or quality. And we would see SDRs that are trying to push this approach within the organizations. However, you know, sometimes software manager would be like thinking, okay, we need activity, we need more volume, etc. So they would uh, discourage SDRs to actually personalize their outreach. Um, but I would say the reason that uh, one of the reasons that you definitely should personalize your outreach is because let's kind of start with the beginning, which is the uh, just think about your inbox currently, Jason. I can imagine how swamped it is every single day, how many emails you received, uh, LinkedIn messages as well, whatever the channel you're using. Uh, we're all getting spammed uh, by so many different outreaches from uh, a lot of organizations and for you to actually break the noise and catch somebody's attention you need to make sure that once they receive the email from you and those first few words that they see when they actually receive an email from you or something that catches the attention and gets them to open the email. So once they actually open it and they go into the email itself, um, if it feels like something that uh, could have been sent to anybody else and that is just kind of a generic email, why would they respond? Like there is uh, right now, so like for example, if you're in a very competitive in industry in the first place, there are so many other tools out there that are targeting the same ICP. And why would they trust that your solution is better than five others that exist on the market? So for you to really get that credibility, get their trust and actually start properly conversation and build this relationship with them, um, you need to make sure that the research that you're doing is shown in the email itself. And I would say that personalization is definitely, as, as you said, like it's not a first name, company name, or uh, I don't know what custom variables uh, like people use that are quite generic. Um, but it's uh, about like showing in your email that uh, you've done research about the prospect and that there is a reason that you're reaching out to them and not somebody else. This is the goal of your email. So personalization is just showing them that you're not spamming them, that you've selected them specifically and that there is a reason why you believe you might be of help to them. And once they see this and believe that there is a reason for this, they will even start thinking about, okay, this person might actually be able to help me out. So how do you think about the part? Um, well, actually, before we get into that, what is the difference? That might be kind of good to share too. Mm -hmm. For someone that's listening, it's not quite convinced yet. What difference would you see in, you know, positive replies, like the percentage of something that's got this level of personalization in it versus something that doesn't like what, mm -hmm. what it would be the difference? Definitely. So I would tell you that my first campaigns that are written that were unpersonalized, obviously, because I had no clue what I was doing back that, back in the day, uh, were getting 1%, 2%, up to 5% reply rates. Right now, I'm getting always above 25% reply rates with my outreach messages, yeah. meaning that I don't have to target uh, 1,000 companies. I have to target only 100 companies, for example, and I would get enough demos uh, to hit my quota. 
when you're not personalizing, you're in a moment where you need to just add more leads, add more leads, add more leads, and just hope somebody will hook, like uh, be hooked on, on your hook. Uh, and then on top of that, like it just uh, makes your lead generation process horrible. You burn down the leads that might be qualified for you and uh, like conversions are just not there. Yeah, you talked a lot about the, what I think are, you know, sort of like consequences of doing mm. this poorly. And it's not just that the reply rate's lower, it's, you mentioned credibility and trust. Exactly. When you don't personalize and you reach out to, you know, especially when you're reaching out to bigger companies and executives at those companies, mm. it's really easy to put you on a blacklist or to block you or exactly. for, I have, I had a client that I started working with where a company they were trying to reach out to literally blocked all, any email coming from their company because they were getting spammed so much, you know? So mm, you run mm. this risk of long-term reputational damage when you don't That's do this well. So it's true. not just that you're not getting as many meetings, you know? And uh, so I just want to highlight what you said there. Yeah, that's that's so true. So like when it comes to the deliverability itself, uh, obviously like that might be like the first reason that you should personalize your outreach, as you said. Uh, basically what happens is that when people receive an email from you that is not personalized, like you're spamming them, they will, as you said, like they will mark you as a spam and it can have a huge effect on your uh, domain reputation so that not only your email are going to go to spam, but your entire company's emails are going to go to spam. Once you go to blacklist, there is no going back. Uh, and uh, there are some technical setups that can help you improve your deliverability, but if the quality of the emails itself is not good, uh, there's only so much like text can do to help. Yep. So let's, let's get into how to, you know, kind of do this. So sure. in terms of the angle and feel free to provide some examples too, cause that always helps. Mm -hmm. um, how do you figure out what to say? Like, I think that's kind of the big <laughs> thing. People are like, Oh, I couldn't find yeah. anything on their LinkedIn. You know, they don't go to this. They didn't go to the same colleges or university as me. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, um, yeah. How do you think <laughs> about like the, the angle? What is it that that thing that you're looking for? How do you find those things? What do you, how do you think about what to point out in the email? Let's start with that piece first. Um, I love this topic because I do think this is something where I've struggled a lot in the beginning as well. And I know that a lot of us here struggle as well. Uh, I would say that mentioning somebody's university or somebody's um, uh, taste in music or cats or dogs or whatever they wrote on LinkedIn that is like personal information <clears throat> doesn't really make a difference. Like there is no reason why you would mention this in your personalization, like when you're personalizing your outreach. What you should be looking for is something that will help you guide the conversation into the area about like what you want to discuss. So for example, if you want to talk about how you can help, um, I don't know, onboard new sales reps, uh, what you would kind of start to personalize and like the angle that you would take is like the fact that they are right now hiring and that would be your kind of angle that you would go with. So this is what you want to focus on. You don't want to focus on their university because the important part is to connect personalization with the remaining of your email. <clears throat> if you're kind of talking about, you know, going to the uh, same university, then you would just jump into, oh, and I see now that you're running this in this company. Uh, what are you doing to do this and this? Like it's completely unrelated to personalization. And then what it does, it actually creates an opposite effect where people feel tricked. They feel um, that you're not being genuine and that you're just trying to trick them by catching their attention and then going straight for the pitch, which completely ruins the point of the personalization in the first place. Yeah. 
it's flattery in the worst way, you know, where exactly. especially anyone in an executive position is used to salespeople trying to butter them up. <laughs> exactly. You know? exactly. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's also easier for us because we're getting uh, targeted a lot and like we're getting a lot yeah. of cold emails. So like you can see what doesn't work, but for people that are just sending those emails, it's a bit hard to kind of grasp it. Um, but I would say, for example, like what is the one reason that I, that I do believe that, um, personalized like personalization fails a lot is that uh, people just don't get the the point of it and as i said like the point is just to prove them that there is a reason that i'm reaching out to you and there is for this reason i think you should kind of listen to what i have to say so for example if i was reaching out to you jason i wouldn't just say like i love your podcast uh and stop there and go with a pitch uh, what i would do is i would like maybe listen to one of your episodes uh, one of your like recent podcasts and I would find like one sentence where you've said something that kind of points me to thinking that you might have an issue or problem or something that can help solve and then I would bring up that exact sentence into my personalization and not just the fact that I've listened to your podcast yeah so it's it's not only what did you find but why is that important why is that relevant exactly. right exactly. exactly so let's if we could let's zoom into that piece a little bit so with the angle, um, and again, feel free to provide some other examples outside of sales mm -hmm. too, might be helpful. So how do you think about, you know, those patterns? Um, and the reason I ask that is that oftentimes what I, you know, it's, it's sort of funny to watch it, when people research a prospect, they literally will just open up their LinkedIn profile and then Google the company name. And there isn't really any purpose mm -hmm. behind looking for or intention or anything like that. And it kind of reminds me of the analogy that I would use is, you know, if you were going grocery shopping and you didn't really have any intention around like, oh, I'm going to buy dinner and here's what I'm thinking of buying, or here are the normal stuff that I buy on a weekly basis that I need. And you're just like literally combing the entire grocery store. Which is <laughs> but uh, grocery shopping most people go with an intention to find something very specific so you know what you're looking for it's just more efficient that way right so how do you think about these uh you call them buckets mm -hmm. how do you think about the buckets of things that you would look for to really you know kind of shorten the amount of time that you would spend looking for these kind of things i so love your analogy it's, it's so funny and so true and I would say that uh, definitely the reason that companies uh, are resistant to actually implement personalization is because it takes them a lot of time. And the reason for that is because they're not following these or uh, however you want to call it. Uh, to kind of explain what buck like patterns buckets for us uh, mean, actually, I would take an example of Lamlist in this case. So my company just kind of make it easier to explain. Um, so the way that we approach personalization is before we even start uh, kind of a, doing our lead generation or like personalizing the outreach, uh, we would start to think about our ICP, so like our ideal customer profile. And we would know in, in which moments of time, what are the signals that will tell us they might now be looking for a solution like Lendless. Uh For us, because we are a sales automation tool, we are looking for companies that are right now hiring uh, new SDRs. Um, they have just hired a new VP of sales, so they might be in a position where they're right now uh, implementing new tech stack. Uh, if they're expanding into the new territory, meaning that they might be like expanding, obviously, their sales efforts there as well, um, recent funding, etc. So those are like, let's say, four buckets that we would use for our outreach. And when, once we know that, the first thing that we would do is when we're approaching lead generation, 
uh, we would always look for companies that are hiring. So it makes our, our job super simple because we're just kind of looking uh, either on like LinkedIn or we have like some tools that we're using for this purpose. We do our lead gen and we have a list of companies that are currently hiring new SDRs. And once we go into the personalization, uh, the moment uh, the moment when you're actually personalizing, you immediately know what to look for, which is job ads and a description of the job ads saying what they will be actually doing uh, when it comes to like the outbound itself. Like, uh, for example, we are hiring new SDRs to expand our efforts into the U.S. market or something like that. And then those job ads will give you the source and all the information that you would need. So you don't need to go to the LinkedIn profile, company website, uh, YouTube channel. Google, etc. you're having all of the information in one place. And the only thing that they can look at are job ads, for example. If you're hiring new VP of sales, you are in a moment where they can see like their previous experience or the fact on what they're going to focus on. Because in most cases, VP of sales would like post on LinkedIn about what their, uh, what their efforts are going to be in the following months. And then you can kind of take it from there with funding with expansion it's all the same like you you just have like different buckets where you're looking for leads so if it's a recently funded company you go to crunchbase you see what they're going to invest their funding into uh if it's a company expanding for what reason what geographies etc so like once you have these buckets like it's super simple to personalize and obviously for different industries different products it's going to be different but your job really uh, as a salesperson is to at least like your leadership's job, but if not yours then, uh, is to figure out your ICP and find those buying signals so that you're reaching out in proper time uh, when it's relevant and when there might be a, a reason for them to actually be interested in your solution or a product. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. <laughs> with, the, uh, with the buckets, I'm just sort of, trying to reverse engineer your process here. What I heard is that you're really thinking about your ICP and this, it's almost a Venn diagram of what the company and the people would be going through that your solution can also help with or fix problems with. Mm -hmm. And you look at where those two things are connected and with your buckets, the hiring, the new executives, the expansion, the whatever it might be, you're looking for like what could my, what problems might they be having or things that they're doing that Lempless could help them do more of? So when I think of hiring, I think of like every sales leader is thinking about how to ramp people faster mm-hmm. and your tool can help with that, right? How do we get okay. meetings for people faster? Expanding into new locations, countries, whatever it might be, this can help them do that faster. This can fix that problem of, not doing this effectively or doing it quickly enough, if you want to kind of reverse that statement. Mm. I think for anyone listening, you could, if you don't know this, you could really just ask your customers and your prospects, you know, this is a really simple question you could ask at the beginning of a sales call too. Um, What made you decide to reach out to us? Mm. Oh, we're hiring right now. Well, tell me a little bit more. What, What are you, what are you thinking about? What are you trying to accomplish with these new hires? And get really specific and you'll start to find these patterns and those become the triggers. And I think people like to talk about outbound and sales like they're very, very different from each other. And they are different, but they're more similar than they are different. Like one is connected to the other, you know? So you can use a lot of the stuff you learn in the sales motion to inform the outbound motion. But I like that you guys really sit down and think about what those are. And you do something very different from what, and we talked about this before, from what most companies do, 
you don't just build like an account list and then look for ways to personalize it. You're building that account list based on who is most likely to respond and say yes to us. Can you tell me more about why it's that approach versus the account-based approach? Definitely. And I would say that the reason that we're approaching it in that way is that, first of all, we are full cycle sales. So we need to be very, very, very efficient in everything that we're doing. Uh, I want my team to be focused on personalization on outreach itself and not on lead generation in the first place. So we want to make sure that our efforts are being spent on the proper accounts. Uh, again, once we're because we when we do lead gen in a way that we are kind of creating these buckets, then we are can easily personalize and then the whole process becomes much more efficient and faster. And for us, it makes complete sense to do it in that way. Um, also, like obviously, it's, it increases our chance of getting reply, uh, booking meetings, etc. And we're we know that we're not spamming people with something that they might not need uh, in this moment. Yes. I just, I can't stress the importance of this. Even if you're listening to this and you are assigned accounts, you could still do the same exercise. Put all of those accounts into LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Who's hiring right now? It's a really okay. easy thing to sort for. Who's had leadership changes? So the, another big difference that you talk about a lot is um, how you build your sequences. So most people build sequences for a persona or for an industry vertical. You guys actually build campaigns around the personalization angle, right? Can you mm, tell me more, exactly. more about that? I would say that we mix both of the sides. So like, obviously we would have per persona, per industry, et cetera. So like, but for us, it's uh, let's say we're targeting. So we are targeting currently sales teams, marketing teams and recruiting teams. So like, obviously those will be like three different uh, buckets, three different campaigns, et cetera. But within those, then we would split them, let's say sales teams for triggers for patterns for buckets that we mentioned before it's also by using that angle as well so uh when we're creating the campaign we literally have a template that is really 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 uh focused on them simply because we we did lead generation for them we did uh, personalization for them we have we kind of created really something that is meant for them and then the personalization becomes so easy so like we take three to five minutes to actually find the research once you get into the speed and you can really personalize in a very effective way. And then you're delivering the value and the content within those campaigns that are really beneficial to them and not to everybody that you're reaching out. And it's kind of really created like um, right now, my mindset, my mind is formed in that way that as you said, like when, if I would have 1000 accounts in one list, first thing that I would do is I would try to find patterns in them, split them up and then like uh, have a couple of campaigns that I can use for, for them. Yeah, it's almost like it's very much this batching assembly line style workflow too, where it's, you know, I mean, this is like a big thing that Henry Ford did in the United States, like with the Ford Motors or whatever, right? Where it was like, you don't just have people work on random parts of the truck, mm -hmm. I, the I don't even know much about cars. So it's fender and then the motor and then like the seats or whatever. You would, it, there would be a logical progression from start to finish. Yeah, you yeah. have people specialize in different parts and you're doing the same exact thing. You're not just looking through each of those a thousand and just starting at the top of the list and working down. Mm. Let's work through this in a way where I can get into a good workflow, find the patterns and then, hey, maybe a thousand out of the thousand, 200 of them are hiring. Let me just work through all of those. The, the messaging is going to be very similar. The research is going to be very similar. And you get into like a really good workflow, you know, that mm -hmm. way. 
so how many how many sequences do you guys have <laughs> in use? And how do how do you kind of like if you get really specific and granular, um, is it like a sequence and then you have little templates that you can put in based on the situation and the angle? How do you guys kind of structurally set up how you sequence? So as I said, like for example, per ICP we would have uh, four campaigns. Uh, so like let's say three campaigns for uh, four campaigns for each ICP. So like twelve campaigns, I would say for everybody. Um, and the way that we would uh, structure it itself is that we would have so for every single person that we're reaching out to, we know obviously like what is going to be the pitch. So like the repetitive things, like we we start to see like the things that are repetitive. As you said, like in those two hundred leads, you just kind of keep on repeating the same stuff and that's what we make as a template. And then the intro line, for example, will always be personalized because that's, as I said, like that's what catches the attention once you receive the email. Um, call to action, we might also personalize additionally simply because it would be uh, additional research that we would find. So like to make it a bit more powerful, that's where we would add additional personalization. And then if there is a need to kind of connect better the, let's say the middle part of the pitch, to the intro line, um, that's where we might maybe make some edits. But the, the fact is, once you know who you're reaching out and like you have really this specific approach, everything feels personalized. So even the te templates feels like it was written for them in the first place. Yeah. Do you have an example of what this sounds like in an email? I'm really curious just so people can, can hear. I can show the... you. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it makes sense like because it's going to be the Okay, give me a second. I'm going to actually go to my one of my sequences. So maybe the first thing that I would like to highlight is when we're creating actually the sequences itself. Uh, we're thinking about how we would how we would we approach this person if we had zero tools in place. So like if we had no automation in place, what would be our first initial steps? And for us, it would be obviously like first visiting somebody's profile. And that's what we would put as a first uh, part of the sequence. Uh, then it would be like uh, sending them a connection request on LinkedIn, uh, then following up with an email, then potentially visiting the profile again. And all of the, these things, like how would you naturally reach out to somebody, then we transfer into the campaign. So for example, one of my recent campaigns, let's say VPs of, uh, that were, so one of my recent campaigns was actually a um, new VP, 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 oh my God, uh, VPs of sales that have joined the company. And so what we would pull in the, in the emails, uh, we would have like custom variable called icebreaker. That's how we call like the intro line that we are personalizing. Uh, then the, to connect it to the rest of the email, we would say something like, uh, uh, I've been in your shoes when I was forming my team. And I remember being so spread out between, uh, between uh, uh, ramping up my team and on board, uh, between building my sales playbooks and ramping up my team. Uh, this checklist was super helpful for me. It was a lifesaver, uh, might come in handy. Hope this helps and good luck at, at a new role. But the intro line itself would be something that uh, I would, uh, again, like I just saw that you joined as a new VP of sales, that you're going to do this and this and this. And then what are, this is a nurturing campaign. So this is not where I'm going straight for the pitch. We just kind of want to start building relationship. Uh, I would drop them some uh, valuable content that was helpful for me. I would kind of start to build, build the grounds for them. But the important part are actually follow-ups because once you're personalizing in this way and you're doing lead gen in this specific angle, um, you can always use it in the follow-ups at scale. So for example, my part of the templates would be uh, how's the hunt for the new SDRs going? 
uh, I saw that in your job ads, you're doing this and this and this. Um, these are all templates. Let me just find a couple of other emails. So the first um, email, just to backtrack, yep. the, the first time you reach out to someone is through a, like a nurture campaign almost, it sounds like. Where so this was actually you... one of my, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. This was actually one, like not the typical sales campaign that we run. It's more of a um, kind of a nurturing campaign for the companies that uh, might have a potential for us actually to convert in the following months. So what we're doing is we're kind of setting up the grounds first to build a relationship. So we're just kind of delivering, depositing some value, some actionable content, something they can use, yeah. connecting with them on LinkedIn, engaging with their posts, et cetera. Uh, but we saw that these campaigns also convert to demos a lot. So we kind of play with them and uh, uh, a bit of more like direct campaigns uh, um, as well. Interesting. Let's, let's talk about that style of campaign. So you said mm -hmm. you visit the LinkedIn profile first, and then you connect on LinkedIn, send a connection request. Then you visit the LinkedIn profile again. What does the kind of sequence of touches look like in the nurture campaign and and um yeah let's Definitely. start with that what's the kind of sequence of touches so, look like this one that i'm looking at right now like it has 10 steps so i would first visit some so we're using lamlist obviously this is our tool so we're automating all of this um so we have a first touch which is visit somebody's profile then connection request on linkedin and we put the uh, connection note like connect connection note uh that we personalize I personally do it uh, without the connection node because for me, like my brand on LinkedIn is a bit stronger. Uh, so I feel that oh. the likelihood of me getting accepted without the connection node is very high and I just don't want to use my uh, time on this specific area right now. Uh, but we would yeah. have like the icebreaker, connect with them, et cetera. Then um, as the following step, we would have uh, the email. Um, in the email itself, we're taking, so the cool thing here is, for example, when my team is actually doing this campaign, they are putting a connection note. So for example, icebreaker uh, in, the, uh, in the connection request, but the same icebreaker then they use for the email intro line. Uh, they just modify it a bit. So for example, if I would say, um, hey, I just saw the, saw the picture. Okay, I have actually an example here. So, hey, Hannah, I saw uh, your recent pics from a um, specific event. Uh, notice you just joined the team at Beacons. I've been following them for a long time. Would love to see the impact you'll have. So this is a, like a very simple uh, connection request note that I would put. And then the same thing we can use later on in our sequence. So in the following email uh, that I would be just kind of a, tweaking a bit. And I would say like, um, as you joined as a new VP of sales at Beacons, we've been following them for a long time, et cetera. Um, now, following the email, we have a follow-up email on top of that. Um, so, um, okay, maybe I'm getting a bit too uh, comp complex here while I'm talking, so I will slow down. Um, so, first email that we send great. is the email that consists... <laughs> sorry? No, this is great. I'm tracking. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at my screen here with a sequence, so uh, if I'm not looking at you, Jason... Uh, just ignore me. Uh, so in the email itself, like the first email that we would send them is just to kind of build a common ground. Uh, as a VP of sales myself, I would connect with them on a similar level. I will tell them uh, I was in your shoes, like this is what helped me, this was a lifesaver, and I would drop them some uh, content that for me was really useful at that point. Um, following that uh, that email, I'm following up again with the, um, with a question, which is how is the hunt for the SDRs going as you're hiring right now? 
Um, and then maybe potentially I would then ask them a question about, um, in this case, obviously, like we're talking about email deliverability and uh, recently there has been a change in uh, uh, email providers algorithm. Uh, so this is kind of the industry uh, caught topic that is currently happening. So I would ask them a question about this and uh, see how they're actually handling it at a moment. Uh, and on top of that, I would kind of share my insights on what make what kind of what we do at, at Landways to kind of make it uh, easier for my team. Uh, again, visiting somebody's profile. Then as a sixth step in this case, I would engage with their LinkedIn profile. So I would comment on their LinkedIn posts. I would put like an alert on LinkedIn to get notifications when they post something, uh, drop some valuable comments on their posts as well. Um, and then I would follow up with a LinkedIn message um, where I would connect what I've shared with, oh, via email. So any content I would ask them, for example, so remember how I told you via email that we were blah, 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 blah. And then I would kind of keep on conversation happening on email, but it should be connected with the email that I've sent. Because when you're reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn, chances are they have no idea like who you are. They will forget the email that you've sent them. And I want to connect the dots uh, between email and LinkedIn in this case. Um, again, after a LinkedIn message, if I still am not getting any replies, then I'm going back to the email. Um, maybe in this case, if it's been like a longer time that we've been nurturing this client, then in that case, we would kind of go with a question uh, with a bit more direct approach and kind of explain the reason for our outreach, um, um, show kind of what we can bring to the table. And if it's a really moment when, okay, right now we need to make sales, then potentially we would add a cold call on top of that. But to be quite frank, I'm not a huge fan of cold calling. So at that moment, I'm hoping to get a reply and, and, uh, and that's about it. Yeah, that's a conversation for another time. We don't have enough time to get <laughs> yes, that. I know. I, know. So, I, I kept, I kept yeah. till the end, so you don't have to ask. <laughs> so, okay, so if we step back, the interesting part about this, I think the big takeaway, and I want to try this actually in my work and with my clients as well, is there is a lot of just give in the sequence, mm. which I think is great. There's three LinkedIn touches. The first and second email are just educational in nature. Mm. It's stuff related to what's going on that you found. And I think that's really, really great because it puts immediate value in the person and there's some trust built and it's a, it's a pattern interrupt too because you're reaching out mm. to them and you're not, you're not even asking them for anything. Mm. I think that's really good, especially if you, your company has great content, which a lot of the customers that I work with, they have really great marketing content. So if you have something that's helpful for that, I think that's great. If anyone listening is in enablement, this is good enablement content to create for your sales team too, is to have stuff be insightful for the customers they're reaching out to. And then you go back to LinkedIn a couple of times. And then the third email is when you start being a little bit more direct about mm. how you so of these emails, are all of them automated, but the first one? I think one more is not. But I'm going to... No, actually, yeah, just the, just the first one is, auto, uh, is personalized. The other ones are automated. But the fact is, like, the other ones also feel personalized because we're mentioning, you know, like, uh, how is the content for the SDR is going? It's like, it's yeah. just the way that we approach the lead gen and, like, the research yeah. itself. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Are these emails all on the same email chain? Are they replies to the first email? Exactly. Yep. Okay. That's another important detail. Okay. Where do you, 
how do you leverage Limlist in this? And for those that don't know, maybe maybe share a little bit more about some of the you know kind of cool features that you guys have at Limlist for personal information. What what do you guys so leverage? All, all of the all of the things that I mentioned right now. So like the the ability of kind of to combine those emails, LinkedIn steps, messages on LinkedIn, uh, personalized uh, connection requests, uh, emails itself. Like all of these steps can be in a single sequence, and they can be automated from Lemlist. So like I don't need to go to somebody's profile and visit the profile. Lemlist does it for me. I don't send a connection request. Lemlist does it for me. So I basically live inside of Lemlist, but I'm reaching out on three different channels. Um, and when it comes to the personalization itself, I like to use videos, for example, in my outreach. So uh, one of the cool features that we do have is the ability to personalize the thumbnail uh, of the video itself. So like you can do it at scale. So we would pull out companies' logos of the companies that we're reaching out to, and we would be able to add them to the thumbnail of the video. Uh, custom variables can be also added to, to the thumbnail. And it's just like tons of personalization features that I love about Lamless because I'm, as you can see, like a personalization girl in the first place. Yeah, I love that. Do you have any tips for deliverability? Because that's a concern I hear sometimes. Images, videos into a video. What are your kind of tactics around Yes, definitely. So deliverability is actually one of our... Uh, key features, I would say. Like that's the reason that I was using Lamlist in my previous company, simply because we do have uh, automatic email warm-up. Um, if you don't know what email warm-up is, like the audience that is listening, I would literally go to Google right now and Google it, especially if you're hiring new SDRs. Um, so I would say that when it comes to the email deliverability, <clears throat> once you do the technical setups right, and I do know that a lot of companies don't get it right actually, um, so we're talking about email warm-up, we're talking about SPF, DKIM mark, uh, uh, custom tracking domain, and all of these things that are very easy to set up, but people don't do it. And then open rates are below 50%. Um, so technical things, when they're set in place, they can boost your deliverability. But on top of that, you need to make sure that you're adding unsubscribe links in your campaigns because you want to give them a way to opt out without them marking you as spam in the first place. Um, you will also want to make sure that you're personalizing your outreach, that you're not using spammy words, uh, that the content is relevant. And obviously the way that email providers will decide whether you're going to go to spam or primary inbox is by looking at the ratio of the emails that you're sending and the emails that you're getting responses to. So you're, that's why the content matters. And that's why the email warm-up also matters because what it does is it basically means that it's automatically sending emails um, uh, to other um, email, let's say. Like uh, for us, like we're, the way that Lamborn works in the first place is we're reaching out, out automatically. Um, we're sending emails to our current customer base uh, and uh, the algorithm itself will automatically re reply back to those emails. So there is a good ratio between the emails sent and the emails received. And that's what email providers like to look and clap and uh, they kind of then put you in the, in the private inbox. Okay. Everyone will definitely have to check that out for sure. Um, <laughs> all right, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure that we got some time for rapid fire questions. You ready? Sure. Ready. All right. So most controversial question ever. <laughs> if you had to choose between your own email and social, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a trick question because I would say my answer would always be like the one that customer like chooses. Uh, but if mm. I personally had to pick, I would say that uh, email. Yep. 
what is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? That introverts make great salespeople. Oh, really? Tell me more about yes. that. <laughs> uh, I do believe that uh, introverts are great active listeners uh, and uh, oftentimes you have a great uh, empathy skills. Uh, so like they kind of create a safe space between them and customers when they're talking on a demo, they don't feel attacked or like they're not being aggressive. Uh, and I do think that like having this space, safe space with customers is really um, uh, something that may, moves the needle a lot. Yeah, I'm an introvert, so uh, it's, it's oh, always that's interesting. Amazing. <laughs> um, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself as a rookie sales professional? Mm, you don't have to do it all by yourself, uh, and you can learn. Uh, you can learn from others, rely on others, and like uh, find a mentor as soon as possible. Great. Well, make sure to, if you're listening, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure to subscribe, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. And if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe so that you can get notified when new ones come out. But uh, Nadia, this is really fun. Let us know where can we go to connect with you, learn more about Lemlist and all of that good stuff. Uh, if you want to connect with me, uh, my LinkedIn is where I'm most active. So feel free to drop me a connection request note. I'm happy to, to connect with anybody in sales. And uh, for Lamlist side, I would say that obviously like, you can go to our website, check out what we have to offer. And if you're looking to boost your deliverability, simply go and type email deliverability checklist. We have like an amazing content on uh, something that can help you out, really improve your open rate and avoid people to go to spam. <laughs>